Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back to the Gastroenteritis Blues. I'm Steve Littman with only Dan Volpone right now. Dan, how you doing? I'm good. This is, uh, we usually record over the weekends. This is right now is a work day for Emily. She's joining us a little bit later. Uh, she'll be joining us uh, at the same time of Kevin Nagandi of ESPN. And Emily's joining right now. What a waste of time. Here she is. We just typed up that she's joining us later and uh, Emily's going to join us now. Hi, Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi. Hi. We just said, I was just doing like an intro and I was like, um, Emily's going to be joining us later. I, I thought you might not be able to get in until noon. So we were going to hype up your entrance oh, to the pod a little bit. Sorry. More. I'm disappointed. It wasn't that exciting. That's okay. How are you doing? Are there patients suffering right now because you are doing a podcast? No, it's lunchtime. Mm. And they uh, all finish early. So I had time. That's great. How are you guys doing? How was your week? How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. Um, yeah. Mine was good. We made way too much food. It was just the two of us. And we had like five pounds of mashed potatoes, a five pound duck, three pounds of corn, a whole apple pie. Wow. A lot of food. That's yeah. a lot. I, I usually to... go Black Friday shopping and I didn't this year. So instead I stayed up all night doing work. <laughs> and it was kind of like the same thing. Like I stayed up till five in the morning doing a project. And it was like, I would have been up till this time anyway. So it's not a big deal. That's true. Well, now you have Cyber Monday, which is today. So you can find online deals. Very um, fun. I tried, to, uh, I tried to contribute to the Thanksgiving dinner. I tried to make candied sweet potatoes and it was terrible. I fucked it all up and it was awful. So, How'd you make them? That's how I make mine. Poorly. Um, I tried to, I undercooked the potatoes so they weren't mushy. And I overcooked the sauce so it was burnt. And um, nobody in my family wanted it to begin with. This was just something I wanted. And it ended up taking up time and being bad to eat. So it's a real, like, we were at dinner and my mom was like, I actually think they're very good. And I was like, cool, do you want a serving? And she was like, I don't. I was like, great. Okay. So it sounds like you don't really love it. Um, big week of six or stuff. Uh, yeah, Kevin Nagandi will be with us in about 15, 10, 15 minutes. And that'll be really cool. Uh, in the meantime, we can go through some Sixers stuff. A huge week for this podcast as Ryan Brokoff is back <laughs> on a non-guaranteed deal. Uh, where were you when you heard the news? Uh, how, do you, how did you feel immediately? Emily, please. I think, I don't remember where I was, sadly, but I think one of you told me, I think, 
I think so too. Which sounds I think you were in the we, car. Pro- oh, probably. I was probably driving somewhere. I probably got there and I was like, I've got this great info. I also want to thank the couple listeners that like DM'd us or tweeted at us. Very to tell cool. Us, like Very, the fact yes. that you know how much we care about that, that means a lot to us. So that's great. Um, you know, so I was, I think I was helping my mom with something at home and I look at my phone and I see that I have like a Woj tweet, but I can't really make it out from where I'm sitting. And I also see like three texts in our group chat from Dan. And I was like, did they trade for a pardon or something? And I go over and it's even better. Dan, what do you think about Brokoff coming back? Yeah, I feel like this is like our, uh, this is like our moon landing moment. You know, like all the grandparents are like, I remember where I was and stuff. And it's like, oh yeah, I was, I was sitting on the couch. I'll always remember that. Yeah. I mean, this would just be a huge deal for our uh, most likely game. Uh, I'm really excited about it. I think it's great. Full, you know, 10 out of 10, Daryl Morey on bringing back Ryan Brokoff. Some people were tweeting about like, why would they sign him? It's like they would sign him because we love him. And why don't you shut up about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I don't know how this is not a great move. The 20th man, it does not need to be anyone other than someone we love. Exactly. exactly. Uh, speaking of the 20th man, Justin Anderson, noted Joel Embiid best friend, is back. I always really enjoyed him because I don't think he's great at basketball, but he's like giant in terms of like girth. He's very strong. And his nickname is Simba, which I find very charming. And uh, he feels like a get in your face guy, which I appreciate. And uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that I just wrote something about how they, the off season has been so Embiid, you know, so much of like a love letter to Embiid. And I just love that his best pal will be on the team. And I think it's really cool. Dan, what are your thoughts on J.A.? Yeah, same thing. I, we needed more Embiid friends around, so mm-hmm. uh, that's the biggest takeaway. He could probably, you know, he could take up some minutes, not in the playoffs. If they're playing him in the playoffs, they're probably in trouble, but right. I don't think they will be. But if he gets on the court in the regular season, I don't think he's like a disaster by any means. So, yeah, I like it a lot. His, his body type is something that they actually don't have on the roster in terms of like a big like guy who can, got, got, who can guard up a position, you know, they have Ben and Tobias who can guard threes and fours, but I mean, Tobias much more just fours. Uh, Emily, what did you think about Justin Anderson? And did you have much of an opinion on him in his first tour of Sixers duty? Um, I always really liked him when he would get in. I just thought he brought, he has like a certain energy that he brings to the court. Right. I do enjoy that this off season is like bring back people who help Joe and Joe's friends. That's always good. Um, and I also like that I can get an Anderson jersey without having to get it custom made. So I don't have to be like one of those people that has like my (laughs) own last name on a jersey, but I can still have it. So positives all around, honestly. Very, very happy with those two signings. Go ahead. It's kind of, it's impressive that, that like he was so well liked here considering how much people hated the Nerlens trade. I feel like it's like, it's credit to how hard he plays because he's not that good. And everyone loved Nerland. So, like, the fact that the guy he was traded for was also well-liked is, like, you know, it just shows, like, he's, like, he's, like, a guy that people just like. It's not, like, even yeah. in bad circumstances, people loved him. Right. So, they – the Nerland trade was a nightmare, and they, you know, Calendula screwed up that whole thing with him and Jaleel Okafor for so long and literally was saying in the press, got to trade one of them. And it's, like, great. Love, love to have, like, our bargaining power gone. <laughs> Uh, and then he trades him, trades Nolans for Justin Anderson and a fake first round pick that was like obviously going to be a second round pick. Um, but yeah, he, I think he's just super likable. Like he was at the Super Bowl with Embiid, I know, was like a huge thing. And they were like shaking hands with people. So I've, I've said for a long time, like just devote 
the 15th and 14th roster spots to like guys who are pals with your like best players. Like, I don't care. Like, just do that. Sign Ben Simmons half brother. I really doesn't matter to me. So I, I'm fine. <laughs> ben Simmons got a new dog. Did you guys see it? Yes. Adorable. It's so cute. Does he have Very dogs, different though? than his other dogs, though. Yes, his like other dogs were like dog. pit bulls, but he got like a new fluffy dog that's very tiny. Oh, it's very um, cute. His, his, his like King Corso dogs don't. I, he like posted a pic video of them and they're just like unamused by this like little tiny fluffy <laughs> puppy, which is very funny. That's great. I'm very happy. Uh, I'm happy whenever a dog gets, gets a new home. Uh, a couple quick things. The Sixers, two of the Sixers rookies signed their deals. Isaiah Joe signed a three-year deal. Um, to be an actual roster spot guy. Um, it's two guaranteed years, and then the third is a team option. And Paul Reed signed a two-way. Um, I think, you know, Isaiah Joe obviously has more of a path to minutes. You know, who knows if he, you know, if he has a really hot training camp and two preseason games uh, and Furkan doesn't, you know, I could see him getting some minutes early on. Paul Reed, I think they'll just see if he develops quickly, maybe he becomes a, third center type of guy. Um, any thoughts on the, you know, rookies that made their deals official, uh, Emily? Um, no, I think they're, they're good. That's like what they should be doing. They're like making the correct decisions, which as we've discussed is weird. Um, so I'm happy with it. It's good. Yeah. Dan. Yeah. I like it. Expected. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing that happened, uh, and B did, I think, his first public interview since uh, the end of the playoffs, since the bubble. And he talked to Brian Seltzer of Sixers.com. And he ba they basically went around a few different topics. And B talked about being left off the All-NBA and All-Defense teams, which he said was ridiculous. And um, he said that he feels like he owes the city a championship. He gave very strong endorsements to Doc and Daryl. Um, it was a pretty, you know, saying all the right things interview. And it was also spliced in. They also added a video of him working out, him training, him sprinting on a soccer field, uh, playing tennis, uh, talking about, you know, how he needs to put it together and do all the right stuff. I eat that shit up, man. I, it'll get me every year. It doesn't matter. It's like, you know, obviously the most common example with this is Ben Simmons shooting videos. I buy all of those and to no avail. Um, but the Embiid stuff, I could, I will never get tired of, of that sort of pandering to this fan base because I enjoy it very much. Dan, what did you think about the interview and the video and, and all that? Yeah, I'm kind of a sucker for pandering too. It's like, I feel a little bit like pathetic about it because I know it's stupid and like he could easily just like leave whenever and I'm surprised <laughs> he hasn't. Well, at this point they're in good shape, but it was like, you know, beginning of the off season, it's like, if you request a trade, I get it. Right. You know, and like he was clearly miserable, but I am glad that he's like, you know, I don't think that he's just like saying that he approves of, of Maury and Doc. Like I, I think he would just say it, but I don't, I think that like, it's pretty clear, like from reporting and from just, you know, the, the nature of the hires that like, these are people he would be happy with and that, For sure. um, and that, you know, that he was, he seemed like, you know, Daryl called him right away. Daryl's been prioritizing him in terms of shipping off Horford. Um, bringing in Justin Anderson, who doesn't love that, um, getting getting guys you can shoot. So I think that he he genuinely is probably feeling really good, which is which is obviously kind of exciting, and hopefully that leads to you know him looking happier and less miserable while he plays, and then right. therefore playing better. Right, uh, Emily, what did you think? 
Yeah, I was really psyched to see this video, except I do have to say as pro Joel Embiid as I am, he does say this going into every season <laughs> that like, he, this is the year, like he needs to win an MVP. He like let himself down last year and he does it every year. And I just, I'm, in my mind, I'm always like, this is the year he needs it. So like, I pray to God that this is the year that he needs it. Right. Um, because I do love a good hype video and you all know, I like pandering um this is a pro pandering podcast <laughs> and yeah i don't know give me all the joel content all the time yeah i mean it, they definitely this whole offseason has been all stuff that it seems like he's very in the loop like he has sort of gone out of his way to tweet congratulations or like welcome to the family stuff for a lot of new sixers people whether it's you know uh, you know, the organizational hires or doc or assistant coaches, which is not something that he does generally. Like if you look back to last off season, there wasn't any like welcome Al Horford. Can't wait to get it, man. Like he doesn't, I don't think he does that stuff unless he feels like he has to, you know, when he's in front of a microphone at like media day, I feel like he'll say the right things. But in terms of going out of his way, I don't think he does any of that unless he actually wants to. Um, and I'm happy to see that. I just, and you know, he, we've been through a lot of like last season, there was a lot of, I'm not having fun anymore. And, uh, you know, I'd love to get back to my old me and have fun, but I'm hearing all these different things and I just want him to be himself and like have fun. And I think that a big part of the way he plays is like fed off of his energy and his personality. And I, I endorse that completely. So I hope he does that. How, how do you think that'll be? Because I do agree that Joe really feeds off of, like, fans and energy, but they're going to be in an empty Wells Fargo Center. So, like, I'm just curious how that's going to work. I don't – it didn't really feel like it, it was affected in the bubble, but the bubble was so weird, and now we've had, like, time to get used to it. Like, I don't – I wonder what that'll be like. I don't it, have any It's weird because a lot, of, a lot of what Joe does when he gets on a roll is, like, mug to the crowd or wave his mm -hmm. hand and get them to clap more. Like – that sort of thing is not going to be there for a long time. So I think a lot of it will have to be like the bench guys, the towel waivers, like Anderson yeah. and Dwight and, um, you know, whoever Matisse, if he's not in the game, like they have to, I remember uh, Kylo Quinn talked about how in the bubble he had to take on part of that. Um, but it's, it's weird. It's going to be a thing that he'll have to manufacture because he definitely feeds off the fans. What do you think of that, Dan? I think that we might have fans sooner than, we're all expecting mm. um i mean there's a the vaccine could start being distributed before christmas mm -hmm. and i think that you know that's you know right at, as the season starts so obviously there won't be people at the beginning of the season but i think you know the nba is obviously being the nba going to try to get fans in the seats as soon as possible they don't like losing money they want people to stand um obviously you know health is not the actual priority you know, the, being able to say that health is the priority is a, is a priority, but mm -hmm. actual health is, I mean, they're, they're a business. They want to make money. Mm -hmm. And I think that the vaccine probably will be distributed fairly quickly to people who want it and provides an excuse to, they could say something like, you know, if you have the vaccine or if you've like have tested, you know, positive for having the antibodies, then you can come to the game and we'll like, you know, still take precautions, but it'll be like people who are safe. And, um, and so I think they're, I, I feel like, I mean, I don't, I could be wrong. I, I'm not an expert on this. Uh, obviously I talk about, you know, the Sixers in my free time, but I think that 
from what I like, I, I would guess that like at some point in the season, there's fans. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And uh, with that, we have we've done the intro. We're going to welcome in Kevin Nagandi of ESPN. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Hey, what's up, Steve? Is it Steve, Dan, and Emily? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, hi. Hey, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, first of all, how are you doing during this sort of uh, never-ending pandemic? How's everything going? Uh, I'm really lucky. Uh, yeah. I'm just lucky that we could talk about sports. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, there, there, there are minor things that I think everybody's experiencing. So to me, it's, it's, it's like, hey, everybody's going through it. Uh, I've got my health. My kids are great. My wife's right. great. My, um, my family and our friends are, 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 are handling it. And um, very little to complain about. I'm one of those guys. Let's, uh, hey, let's figure it out. Let's move on. And um, no one's here to, to hear anybody complain in the pandemic, right? right? Well, glad to hear that. Glad to hear that you're well. Um, you're obviously a well-known Philly sports fan, and you're absolutely one of us on a national stage, which we always appreciate. <laughs> um, you also went to Temple. I went to Temple. Um, what was your experience like at Temple growing up? Do you have a favorite Temple athlete of all time? Uh, and, yeah, you can go ahead with those two. So um, the, the, my, my journey to Temple was, was – Definitely unique, and I think everybody that goes to Temple has a unique journey. Um, I originally, uh, my, my brother went to Temple. He was a Penn State guy, then he went to Temple. My brother's seven years older than me, and he took me to my first uh, uh, Temple basketball game in McGonagall Hall back in um, the, the year before we got Mark Macon. And okay. I was uh, 12 years old. It was a jam-packed house. They played West Virginia. And I'll remember just everything about that environment. Uh, it was it was amazing, and you felt, oh gosh, Temple's on the verge. And I was hooked on Temple hoops and John Chaney, and uh, from there on out. And then um, then the next year was the '88 team, <clears throat> number one in the country, um, and then the heartbreak against Danny Ferry and Duke. So uh, my brother was at Temple, and then when it came time for me to look at schools in, uh, you know, 92, 93, way before your time, uh, you guys probably weren't even born, um, my, my mom was like, what about Temple? Because we were looking at communication schools, and I was like, nope, I'm not, I'm not staying here. I'm, not, I'm going somewhere. I'm going to go to Syracuse. I'm going to go to USC. I'm going to look at all these other schools. And uh, so I didn't even apply to Temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it, my, my final two schools, uh, you know, you know, the, I applied to all the, the big schools, the big communication schools, uh, but my final two schools were USC and Syracuse. I didn't think I was going to study at USC cause I thought, I thought I would be at the beach all day. Sure. Uh, I didn't study at Syracuse <laughs> one semester there. And I realized I was just, I was going to waste my parents' money. And, um, my mom, uh, this five foot, uh, you know, spark plug had already like plotted out stuff and had already gone to Temple without me knowing to North Philly and, had, you know, never been in North Philly and had already like talked to the, uh, you know, uh, counselors in the communications department. And she collected all this information and she made it feel like I made the, the decision to go to Temple. Because at one point I was like, you know, maybe I'll give Temple an idea. And immediately my mom had all the information. And wow. she's like, I'm sending you all this stuff. <laughs> and um, it just made sense. It was market four. I would get the opportunity to be involved early on. Um, when, I, when I say that, I'm saying like 
you're a market four. So I'm, I'm at the radio station. We had a 50,000 watt radio station. So I'm covering Sixers games and Eagles games and Flyers games and Phillies games by the time I'm 20. Uh, the, wow. the internship program, you know, my first internship was, was with Harry Callis and the Phillies in the booth. No way. Uh, oh, yeah. That's so cool. it, it, that, that all worked out. If you want to talk about amazing moments, Coach Cheney was my guy. That was that – was, you know, uh, sitting down with him for two to three hours after practice, um, nothing could touch that. And the guys I went to school with are Eddie and Eddie and Aaron, um, Eddie Jones and Aaron McKee. And, mm-hmm. and, and I talked to Aaron uh, a couple days ago. So, to me, uh, Temple's in my DNA uh, through and through with everything I do, you know, next to the Gator one, the, the Gator one. Is yeah. Right. Uh, you've got the Temple stuff there. We represent <laughs> here downstairs. So, yeah. You know, I, I've got a lot of fond memories of Temple basketball when I was there. Not a lot of football, uh, <laughs> but you know, obviously that has changed in the last uh, 10 years. Um, were you interested in broadcasting heading into college, or did is that something oh, you yeah, picked oh, up? Oh, yes. yeah. I, since I was 14. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I was, I was going to be an architect. Uh, I took one class, and I remember in ninth grade, it was a building construction class, and literally the first week, I was like, oh, my God, get me out of this class. I hate it. <laughs> um, I didn't want to do it anymore. And then I, I, I've said this story many times. Like, uh, uh, literally later on that fall, um, I remember where I was. I was in my uh, living room. I was watching a college basketball game. I remember, like, it was – Mid-afternoon, there was a basketball player at the free throw line, and they, they did a profile of the player, and the two announcers said, he's going to school uh, for communications because he wants to do our job. And at that moment, I, I just put two and two together. I was like, wait a second. Like, you can get paid to do this, and, right. and you could travel around. You could talk about sports, and this is what I want to do. And uh, that night, I watched Sports Center, and I, I'll never forget saying – I. I want to be the first Indian American on SportsCenter. And 17 years later, it, it, it worked out uh, like that happened. So That's incredible. Crazy. Wow. That is so cool. Um, so it sounds like, you know, Temple, you got a lot of good experience with all the sports and all the Philly sports, but how did you end up at ESPN? So, Emily, uh, you know, there is no direct path. It's never like um, – an A to B gets you to C. I've always said this. Uh, there, there's going to be times where you're going from A and you're jumping to G and then you're back to D and you're back to A again, pressing reset, and then eventually you make a, a leap to K. That's kind of mm-hmm. like my journey. You know, when I got out of school, I was actually on the air in Philadelphia uh, for a high school sports show that was run by Temple guys. Um, that was on a – it was really prominent, um, and it was a really cool situation because at 23 I had my own – you know, uh, editor, my own uh, photographer, my own producer, and I'd go to these high school games. And we were on right before the um, Eagles pregame show. So we had a really big audience on Sundays. But it was a pre-production kind of show. It was on 30 minutes once a week. So I wasn't getting a lot of experience uh, in live events. So my first job was in Kirksville, Missouri. Uh, it was a really small town market 199, but it was a great town because it had three colleges uh, in the vicinity. I was, um, I was close to, you know, a Cardinals fan base, a Cubs fan base, uh, the Rams and the chiefs. So I I had a lot of things to do. Uh, I was there for 13 months, again, small market. And by the time, you know, you get out of there, you've made a lot of mistakes. That's why I went live to take a massive 
pay cut to make $15,000 as a 24 year old kid because my rent was, you know, less than 300 bucks a, wow. a month shared with another guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can do that right at, at a young age. Cause you're not, you don't have the mortgage. You don't have the family. You don't have a heavy car payment. And all I had right. to do was uh, pay off my, uh, my Syracuse loan of one <laughs> semester. And um, so after that, I went to Sarasota, Florida, and I would equate Sarasota to like a market like Fort Myers, um, where you're, you're, you're covering five spring training teams. Uh, you know, I was around when Ken Griffey Jr. got traded to the Reds because the Reds were down there. Uh, I was around when A-Rod signed with the Rangers because the Rangers were down there in the spring. I was covering the Bucks. Uh, when they were really good in their Super Bowl run. Um, and then I was in the middle of, you know, football, college football, where Spurrier was the head coach. Um, Bobby Bowden and Peter Work were there at Florida State, and the U was coming back, you know, and that Canes team in 2001. So every single week we were doing a lot of big things. And I was, uh, I was there for three years. And, and this is where I say you take these steps. Uh, I got out of TV. I left TV for a year. Uh, I, I went back to Philly, uh, the suburbs, and tended to a personal, uh, a personal thing for my family. And I was like, my priority is my family, not, not the business. So I left TV at 27 and started my own entertainment company. Uh, I was working in pharmaceutical sales to make money. Wow. And uh, I lived in Jersey. Things were going really well. And my old TV station called me up a year later after I left. And they were like, hey, um, would you be interested in coming back? We got rid of the other sports guy. Uh, we give you the keys of the entire sports department. Do whatever you want. And uh, at that point, my parents were pretty pissed off that I left TV in the first place. And <laughs> so we came back around. I said, you know, uh, I was living with my mom, working with my dad. I told them, hey, you know, this opportunity has come up. Things seem to be settled. Can I, can I entertain the idea? And before I could say it, my mom's like, you better go back down there. Like, yes, mm -hmm. like you shouldn't have left TV in the first place. So I went back down there and um, about two years into the gig, um, I had somebody approach me and ask me, how come, you know, you're, you're uh, I was 30 at the time. She was like, how come you're here? You should be somewhere else. Like, have you thought about an agent? I already had an agent in the past. And she's like, have you thought about connecting with somebody? You should be in a bigger market. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm actually pretty good here. I, you know, I was, I was happy where I was at the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, a year later, I reached out to her and I said, all right, give me the name of the guy. And I called the guy up and the guy was just like, hey, listen, I really like your tape. He was in New York. Um, and he was like, give me, give me six months, handshake agreement. If I can get you a job somewhere nationally, great. If I can't, you know, we move on. And I was like, what do I got to lose? Uh, right. My girlfriend at the time, she was in TV. She's my wife now, Monica. She was just like, what, what do we got to lose? Let's just do it. Let's just try. Let's, you should be somewhere else. And within, um, within three months, he called me up and was just like, hey, I got to try out at ESPN. Do you want to go up there? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I got the details. And I went up there in mid-July of 2006. And I knew I was competing against six other people because they would – they would fly in the anchor. The anchor has a whole day of you uh, audition, you do all these interviews. Uh, by the way, that's a, sorry, that's a loud light. Uh, no, fine. So um, I said, great, what do I got to lose? They're going to fly me up on their own dime. I've got, this is going to be uh, 
great. I get to go to ESPN and I get to see the campus. I get to be in studio. So if I don't get the job, I can kind of check off a list that I was even considered. And the, the audition was fantastic. I did the best that I could. And then you do all these interviews with you're walking into these executive offices where they have 30 Emmys all around and you go to the next after 30 minutes, you go to the next office and 30 Emmys and it's pretty intimidating. Um, I felt like I nailed it. Uh, I went home and I was like, if I don't get the call, I don't get the call. I know I did my best. And literally I got the call three weeks later. My age, I remember I was at a football practice covering it. My agent called me and it's in August and it is super hot in, in Florida. And he was just like, uh, you ready to go to Bristol? And I was like, what? Wow. Like, yeah. Uh, pack your bags. And I said, okay, but I, I, I was in the middle of my own contract. I, I, I had a, three years left on my current, my, my current deal. And I was like, what am I going to do? And he's like, I'm not even worried about that. We'll figure that out. You, you, you come up with a plan. He's like, but they want you like now, can you go up in two weeks? I was like, I still got to give my notice. Right. And he's like, they, they want you to start literally in three and a half weeks. So I went back to my news director. I'll, I'll never forget that night. I had to finish my broadcast that night at six o'clock. I had dinner with my girlfriend slash now wife. And it was like, okay, this is amazing. Now, how am I going to get out of this contract? What am I going to do? Slept on it, woke up the next day, uh, went in to see my news director, shut the door. And I told her and she freaked out. She was beyond stunned and happy. Oh, cool. Good. That's great. Let's do it. Let's figure it out. She's like, but we've got to talk to the GM. So she leaves the room and I'm like, oh gosh, how's this going to play out? I'm, I, I've started putting all this stuff in my head on how much I'm going to have to owe them and all that. And she went into the GM's office. She comes back 10 minutes later. The GM comes down the hallway, sticks out his hand. He's like, go, I'll break the contract. Get out of here. You're going to ESPN. Wow. And that's how it happened. I know it's a long awesome. story, but the reason why I explain it, Emily, is I, I, I think a lot of people at home that get into the business that have these big dreams, they need to understand that uh, sometimes the journey uh, takes you in a place that you think you're far, much farther away from your destination, but it actually brings you closer. And um, there is no clear cut path. There's, if you go to every ESPNer that's on the air, they'll tell you, yeah, uh, there was no clear cut path. I didn't think this, this was a shot. And I went through some trial and some tribulation, but eventually you find yourself there. So cool. So you, so you get to ESPN. How, I mean, you're used to, you know, doing broadcasting in front of audiences, but now ESPN is ESPN. So how, yeah. how nervous were you for, for your first time you know, doing a live segment and, and how did you kind of handle that? So, so think about this, uh, you know, uh, in local TV, you're doing three, maybe if you're lucky and there's no bad weather day, you're doing a four minute sports segment. And then on Sunday nights, I did a 30 minute show. Um, and then on Friday nights, I did the 30 minute uh, high school sports show. So you get a little bit of where you're producing all that you're editing, you're doing all that. Then you get to ESPN, and I had to go through, and this one was when, 2006, ESPN News was a, a legit network in the sense of we're, we're doing live events and we're doing live shows. Um, when I say that in the legit response in the sense of legit broadcasts of news events. So we were doing two-hour shows, and I was like, wait a second, I, I've got to write a two-hour show now uh, with another anchor? And... 
and then do the whole thing. And, um, and those were usually one hour shows and then you're doing the, the, the next hour again, but you're actually doing updated highlights. So my first night was an eight to 10 show. And that was, uh, that was, I was nervous as all hell. <laughs> like, then like, you just think about all this stuff you've gone through and then you're like, well, now I get my shot. What am I going to do? I got to step up and perform and, and you don't screw up. And there were a lot of just long days of just, Oh, this is what I got to do. This is what I got to do. Oh, I got to, I can rely on this person. Cause in a, in a environment where you work in local sports, it's just you, man. Like the sports department is like two or three people and it's you against the world. Right mm -hmm. now you're like, Oh, I can use this stack guy. I can use this researcher. Oh, I have a producer and a coordinating producer and somebody else here. And, but you've got to figure all that out. And the best thing that happened to me, I, I tell people all the time, I wasn't ready for sports center out the gate i needed to go to like espn news and deal with breaking news nonstop, mm. and and work with veterans like you know dari noka and steve bunin and mike hill and uh bill pedo and you're just you're working with so many different people and you see how they do it you take a piece you take a piece you take a piece you take a piece and you know, uh, Kirk Jimenez really helped me. Jay Harris, who was on the 6 p.m. Sports Center at the time, he's a good friend of mine. He, you know, he didn't have to. He talked to me. And so I did that for like a year, year and a half, just doing constant breaking news for two to three hours. And then, uh, you know, um, that led me to getting like some out, outside the lines, some college football uh, live gigs. You know, I told the scheduler, hey, I'm working on every holiday call me up, you know, doing NFL live when no one's around on Christmas day, you know, uh, because no, no one wants to work on a holiday. And I was like, I'll do it because I wanted the experience. And that's mm -hmm. how I kind of get my name out there. And I was doing all that stuff um, for two years. And then about a year and a half into the, the gig is uh, when they had a call out um, on the 11 PM. Actually it was a call out on the 11 PM sports center. And somebody on the 1A had to move up. This is before they had LA. Somebody on the 1A had to move up to do the 11P. And it was, it was Robert Flores doing SportsCenter. And they're like, we wanted to, want you to do the SportsCenter. Me and Roflo had worked so many times on, on ESPN News that I was like, great. It's with somebody that I know is going to be cool about it. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget doing that show right before we're on the air. And Roflo looked at me and goes, hey, man, let's just do what we do. And I was just like, that's all I needed to hear. It was a really good show. Um, you keep your fingers crossed, but, you know, in the environment back then, it, it, it's still competitive now, but the environment back then, everybody was just trying to get on SportsCenter. So you knew that I, I can't screw this up because who knows when they're going to call me again. So I remember it was a Saturday night. I did the show. It was a closed show. And then the next morning I got a note from the scheduler and said, Hey, uh, we've got a couple more sports centers up, upcoming. Can you do it? And you're like, yes. And then those two turned out to four, turned out to four, turned out to finding yourself in a rotation, turning out to me now being kind of the backup on the 11 P with, uh, Levy, Stuart Scott, Van Pelt, John Anderson. And then it was me. And then that led to me becoming the backup on the morning show with, uh, Hannah Storm and Josh Elliott. And I was on so many times with on that morning show uh, when Hannah or Josh were out that I was kind of in a rhythm to the point where I, I'll never forget the scheduler on a Sunday night had me do the 11, uh, 11 p.m. close 
which re-aired all morning. And then they asked me to do the 9 a.m. Sports Center. I said, am I tossing to myself live? Like, one show to the next? And they're like, oh, we're sorry. So then I did the movie show. So they, they, you know, you were available and you said yes. They appreciate that. And then, um, you know, when Josh went to Good Morning America, uh, I was lucky enough to get the call to, to work with Hannah on the morning show. And then we did that show for five years. So as you're, you know, you're doing ESPN News, you're doing some outside the lines. Did you have any specific mentors that helped you with this step into Sports Center and like what exactly that beast is and how to tackle that? Uh, so the, the guys that, you know, I had a handful of guys that were great to me. You know, I'll never forget working a really late Sports Center. Uh, it was it was a, an epic sports center. It was it was I mean a, a ESPN News show. It was a closed show where we had a baseball game go nineteen plus innings, and mm -hmm. I was there till four or five in the morning. Wow! And Van Pelt had to do the sports center version. I did the news version, and I remember it was me and Van Pelt in the hallway, and I was about a year and a half in, and Van Pelt and I. You know, we're just, you know, shooting it and just talking real, real quick. And he goes, hey, I just want to let you know you're ready. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, you're ready to do SportsCenter. Uh, wow. Just, I, I watch you on news. You're good enough. All you need is a, a shot. You belong here. And I was like, thanks, Scott. And when you hear that from Van Pelt, and who's, you know, he's an icon. And at the time, I'm 32 years old, 33 years old, and you're just trying to find your way in the landscape there. That stuff means a lot. You know, uh, I'll never forget it. Bob Lee became a confidant. Anytime I had a question, I'd go to Bob's office and uh, shut the door, and I'd be like, all right, here's, here's the deal. And Bob was just like, all right, this is what you got to do. This is what He gave me some sound advice on some career decisions where I was at a crossroads, and he's like, no, you're doing this. And I was like, why, why, why am I doing this? He's like, because I said so. You're doing it. I was like, wow. you tell me, I'll do it, Bob. You know, it <laughs> turned out to be phenomenal advice, um, and it went against my agent. It went against uh, multiple people that I leaned on, uh, but, but when Bob tells you, you do it, you do it, mm -hmm. right? So those are the guys that were great. Uh, Jerry Madelon, that used to work at ESPN. Um, people, uh, you know, that are in TV know who he is because he's been helpful to so many people. He, he I lean on him still. He left ESPN, but I, I lean on him. And he's a mentor to many, many on-air people. He's mm -hmm. the one that that helped really discover Stuart Scott at ESPN. And um, I look at I look to him as one of my kind of. Um, uh consigliers right mm -hmm. uh, yeah, i gotta lean on somebody right. and and that's a guy so there's a handful of guys you know when i was earning my stripes in the morning show trey wingo was great um he, he sent me a phenomenal email one morning where i was like i stink in tv and that's just kind of how we internalize things mm -hmm. uh, in reality i i was pretty decent but mm -hmm. <laughs> you're processing it differently and trey on his own sent me a note saying, hey, man, you're really good at this. And when you hear that kind of stuff, you're like, yeah, what a, turn that stuff in your brain off right? and uh, actually live in reality. Uh, Reese Davis, incredible. Uh, mm -hmm. Still is an incredible uh, confidant. So I've been lucky. Hannah, Hannah Storm's a legend. And, uh, you know, working with her day in and day out for five years, I learned so much on how to be a professional, um, how to nail it every single time the red light's on. Mm -hmm. So um, there are a lot of guys. And mm -hmm. I know, again, I, I went long. Um, Stuart was always good to me. 
Steve Levy, uh, Steve Levy. That my, I'll tell you my Steve Levy story. Steve Levy was, was great. We did a lot of shows uh, together, but like early, you know, where me and Steve are getting into a rhythm, we're, um, we're getting ready. We're about a minute before we're on the air and, uh, you know, the stage manager is giving us cues and, you know, Levy starts a conversation right then and there. He's like, yeah, you know, I was on a, a Miami radio earlier today and I was like, oh yeah, okay. And I was like, Where, where's this going? We're 30 seconds before our show over. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you know, uh, they, the, the guys asked me, you know, if they look at my track record, I've worked with, you know, the Dan Patrick's and the Chris Berman's of the world and the John Saunders. And, and, you know, I've seen all the great ones come through and who's, who's the next guy, who's the next big thing. And now you're starting to hear the, uh, Stage manager go, 15, and I'm like, all right, get, get to this. What, 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 what are we doing? Like, get to this thing before the open. And he's like, yeah, so they asked me, and um, I just sat there, and uh, I said, you. And now it's like, five, four. And I said, you said me? <laughs> he goes, yeah, so don't F it up, Nagandi. One, <laughs> and then the open starts. And, you wow. know, the whole time the open's going on, I'm like, what just happened? Like, and um, – <laughs> Those are the those are the cool moments, you know. Uh, Chris Berman has been so kind to me over the last 13, 14 years that I've been at ESPN. And when when you can lean on those guys, those legends, and Boomer's walking down the hallway, and he wants to talk about the Eagles, and the next thing you know, he's talking to, and he's sharing a couple stories about the business with you, John Saunders. I, I was really lucky to lean on those legends. John became a um, he became really crucial to, to my growth at the at the place and you know I miss him dearly because he, I think he'd get a kick out of me sitting in his chair on ABC for the last four years on college football and um, me hosting the uh, Dickie V Gala which he championed he'd get a kick out of that because he was the guy that you know would would give me the hey don't worry about what anybody says just keep right. doing you. Uh, that's all that matters yeah so it sounds like from what you told us earlier like Sports Center was like your goal from the beginning, from being younger. Um, but what's one thing that ended up being really difficult, a part of anchoring Sports Center, maybe that you didn't anticipate? Ooh, man, that's a really good question. Um, huh. Difficult. Uh, I, I would say just finding your way through it all, like, you know, like, the, the biggest challenge for me, you know, when I was really getting started into it, it was, okay, different mindset for the 11 p.m. Sports Center because I'm doing highlights only um, and you're, you're doing like hard news. Uh, the 9 a.m. Sports Center is uh, highlights, but, you know, it's the day after. Let's peel it. Let's understand why this is happening and, and a lot of interviews. So, and now my, my, my current role for the 6 p.m. Sports Center is completely different because we don't have a lot of highlights and mm -hmm. we don't have a lot of like morning interviews. So we are, we're setting like a pregame show for the events of what's going to happen later on tonight. So I think it's not so much a difficult thing. It's more of the challenge of different mindset. All right. This is a completely different show. Um, when I did the, when I was in the, the middle of doing like, hey, you're filling in for the 11, you're filling in for the morning show, you're filling in for the noon, now you're filling in for the 6P, 
it was it was always like, all right, now what exactly am I doing here? What, what what's what's the priority here? What's the goal here for uh, this specific show? It was just finding my identity while still learning on the fly, while still adjusting to breaking news, while still you know um, finding my voice. Uh, and then when I say finding my voice, it's like staying true to myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that, all of that was um, a challenge. And and the only way you, Emily, the only way you can get better by doing that is reps. Like I, mm-hmm. I can exp- I can tell you guys, all three of you guys, and say this was going to happen, this was going to happen, this was going to happen. You can have all the information and the data. The only way you know is by reps mm-hmm. every single day, like doing something every single day to say this is what I know works. Um, so I think it's just finding your way that works for you, a system that works for you, because when you go on the air and you're with another anchor and they have their own system that works, when you go on the air with another anchor, they have their own system that works, right? So it's just finding that process to say, how does our system and your system and everybody's system work together for the goal of the show? Because in the end, the most important thing is the show, right? Mm -hmm. And staying true to that specific window because it's a different audience at night, completely different audience in the morning, completely different audience at 6 p.m. So you mentioned uh, that, you know, there's a lot of interviews during the 9 a.m. So obviously you've done lots of interviews over your career. Is there one, you know, whether it's like a person or like a moment that happened during the interview that really stands out to you as something you think about as like one of your highlights? Like that's one of your favorite interviews. And like there's a handful of them. Um, On the air, interviewing The Rock was really cool. Uh, The Rock is, you know, Dwayne Johnson's a good dude. Uh, he's actually one of my favorite interviews because it was a different type of interview. And that was on the morning sports center. And we had to talk about his diet and how he was eating so much. He was consuming so many calories and uh, finding a way to make that sports angle. You know, I've, I've interviewed a lot of celebrities to find a way to make it a, a sports angle. Um, Bradley Cooper was not fun. That was a tough interview because it was on a, like a nine second delay and he was in France and um, he had a movie come out uh, about being a chef and and how you're making it a sports-centric interview. That, that took tough. a turn in that conversation. That, that wasn't fun, especially on a nine-second delay, um, and you're doing it live. Uh, my, my favorite – you know, I have a handful of favorite interviews uh, because of their personal type. You know, anytime I had Brian Dawkins on and we could bring a story out – you know, being the Philly guy and, you know, the Malcolm Jenkins and the Brandon Grahams after winning the Super Bowl. Uh, those are pretty cool. My, my favorite one of all time, though, has a, has a lot of layers to it. Is It's the night the Sixers drafted Ben Simmons. Um, okay. That morning, I did SportsCenter at 9 a.m., 9 to noon. And then uh, I drove down to the Sixers because it was draft night. I drove down to the, uh, the parkway. And uh, they had a tent set up and literally parked at like five, I want to say 50. And it was the 6 p.m. Sports Center. Lindsay Zarniak's hosting it. But the Sixers said, we have Allen Iverson and we want to give you Allen Iverson, but we don't want Allen Iverson to do a satellite interview. We want Allen Iverson. Kevin, we we want you to interview. And I was like, this is great. I'll do it. I had interviewed AI before. Um. So I drove down there and we're getting ready to do a hit, me and him. And 
It's around like 6.15 and the producer in my ear is saying, all right, I'm going to give you three minutes. And I was like, you're going to give me three minutes? Like, can you give me a little bit more? <laughs> got Alan Iverson, I drove down here. Like, it's like, it's a cool night. And, and honestly, it's not anything against Alan Iverson. It's just that's the way the 6 p.m. Sports Center is. If you've ever watched the 6, I'm, me currently on the 6 p.m. Sports Center, I'm lucky to get a three and a half minute interview with anybody because mm -hmm. people are just go, let's go, let's go, let's go. So 6.30 comes around and AI's with me. Um, and they're like, we'll be in your ear. We'll let you know. And I was like, all right. And uh, the next thing you know, AI, the crowd's phenomenal. And Alan is beyond good. This is the, uh, the summer uh, he's getting inducted in the Hall of Fame. And he had a phenomenal uh, Daryl Dawkins, Moses Malone shirt that he had made custom to the point where I was like, hey, can I get that shirt? He's like, no, nah, I made it. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. So me and him are talking, and he's pouring his heart out. And Alan is, there is no filter with him. And it was a fantastic conversation to the point where he's emotional two or three times. The crowd is cheering him on. Um, I tap into me knowing the historical significance of Ben Simmons being number one and Iverson being number one, the tie-ins to the, to the city and what it means. And um, I didn't hear the producer in my ear once. We went over nine <laughs> minutes. It was wow. that, like, that good of an interview subject. And he was so good. And afterwards, uh, he hugged me a couple of times. And it was just a really cool um, – cool moment and I thought the crowd handled him well I thought the crowd carried him a couple times because he got really emotional about his, his connection in Philadelphia and his attachment to the fans and how much they loved him and uh, it was a really cool thing to, to share that on the national stage with that audience leading into the Sixers having the number one pick so to me there was a lot of factors that weighed into that saying this is this is pretty darn cool. Um, so if, if you notice anything I'll probably bring up with my ESPN experience will be tied into the city and having the connection that I have with the city and, and the sports and my passion for it. And at the same time, putting us in a good light. And I mean, because, you know, the day after the Sixers winning, I mean, the Eagles winning the Super Bowl or two days after hosting the parade on ESPN's family of networks, uh, to be able to share that with Sal Powell and I doing it for two hours to showcase the city in, in a right way, to leave the morning of the Super Bowl on SportsCenter and open up my Eagle shirt, <laughs> catch a flight to get that. Those are the cool things that I love making sure we can reshape the perspective and the kind of narrative of Philadelphia to the, uh, to the national public. So you uh, alluded to this earlier, but you were the first anchor of Indian American descent to be on a national sports network in American television history. Like how was that something that you were cognizant of as you were growing up and, and coming up the ranks? And did you and do you feel an extra layer of like responsibility in terms of the representation of uh, Indian Americans on television? Uh, it's a great question, Steve. And, um, you know, as I'm as I share that that passion whenever I'm on the air being a Philadelphian or, or a guy that grew up in the suburbs and was always in the city. Um, I feel that way when I, you know, I go on the air and um, as, as Kevin Nagandi, like mm -hmm. I, I, I represent my family first and foremost. I represent my hometown of Phoenixville. I represent Philadelphia and I feel like I represent Indian Americans. So when I got the job and, you know, 
it's pretty heady the night I did the first time I did sports center because you're you're saying all right do your job that's it that's why they got you that's why they brought you in do your job that's why they asked you but at the same time there's a piece of you saying don't screw this up because first impressions are maybe the only impression mm -hmm. so I, I took that on my shoulders to say Kev you can't afford to screw up because somebody's going to watch you and their only experience of Indians is a poo from freaking the Simpsons mm -hmm. and and I say that in jest but it's the truth because when you look at you know, national TV, there were not Indian American representation on any topic. Now, in the last 10 years, it's changed. And the last 15 years, you've seen now, you know, the Cal Pens, the Harold, Harold and Kumar, you know, movies and stuff like, but you, you didn't see that, you know, uh, in the sports um, audience. You didn't see that when it came to uh, sports programming. So, I took that upon myself to say, don't screw it up. And, uh, you know, I was really proud of, um, you know, since I was hired and not screwing it up, uh, that they brought in Anish Shroff, who's been incredible. Mm -hmm. And he's a, he's a rising star when it comes to play-by-play -play on the college level. Um, to have Adnan Burke come in, who's, who's Pakistani. He's Canadian-Pakistani, uh, but still, like, um, how's that go? Pakistani Canadian. Mm -hmm. Um, he's been fantastic. And now, you know, he's at MLB network, um, to have Zubin Mahenti, who's done an incredible job wearing every single hat in the building and now has his own morning radio show on ESPN. Yeah. Uh, to have, uh, you know, the Nabil Kareem, uh, now come in and he's, he's carrying, you know, the sports center stuff at night. And, and then the guy that was before me is Darinoka, who's, who's, you know, whose dad is, is Iranian. So like all that stuff, we, we, we don't talk about it publicly, but we understand it. You know, it's like a, just, Hey, don't screw up. And then we cheer each other on, you know, we're on a text chain together and we all have these conversations <clears throat> with each other, you know, and, and I can't forget about the, the superstar of play by play, Adam Amin, who, uh, you know, was with us and now he's on Fox and, you know, watching him last night on the, uh, Saints uh, Broncos game, which is beaming because we're just, we're all just proud of each other. So we we know it's a small group, and um, I think we're going to continue to to grow and and have a, a bigger footprint. And the most important thing for all of us is, hey, once you get past all that of being the first of anything, you better be good mm -hmm. because if you're not good, you'll be gone, right? <laughs> so I, I, I'm just proud of the longevity that we have now in the business of People come to us because they trust us because we're good more than anything else. The first few months, the first year, you're going to hear about the noise and people questioning you, but eventually you're going to earn their respect if you're good at something. And that's right. what we just said, head down, just do your job, and they'll ask you to come back. So I want to ask you about your, your Philly sports fandom a little bit. So I guess, you know, we all have those moments that really kind of solidified our interest in sports growing up. What, what were those that stand out to you looking back? Like, you know, these are my, some of my favorite memories and that's why I'm still into, into Philly sports today. There's a handful of them. And they're always tied to my family. Um, you know, I, I just remember Sundays and grabbing the Philadelphia Inquirer, inhaling basically all the stats and information and sitting next to my dad and my brother and watching the Eagles game while they would yell at the TV, I would just say, hey, what about this? Don't, don't get mad at Ron Jaworski because he's done this, he's done that. Don't get mad at Tim <laughs> Vermeil. And educating, you know, 
the audience <laughs> in my living room. <laughs> and I, I think that's kind of how I started growing into this, you know, always grabbing a daily news when I was in a Wawa, you know, um, my mom always supporting me. <laughs> my mom, I'd be downstairs in the basement when I was seven, eight years old by myself. And I had a little basketball set up and I had a league, you know, uh, a college league and a, and a NBA league. And I would play the games by myself and I'd do play by play and I'd go back and forth, eight, nine, 10 years old. You know, my mom at one point came downstairs and she's like, why are you talking? Like, aren't you wasting energy talking? And I said, mom, if I can't give play by play, then the game doesn't count. I have to give play-by-play of the game. And then, you know, that's how I, you know, I'd play against myself, but I was always the Sixers and we'd always win. And then we'd notch a, you know, the win and all that. So that's kind of how it, it developed. And then, you know, the Eagles, well, first off, the Sixers winning in 83, my mom taking me and my brother and a few of our buddies out of school and taking us to the parade was amazing. You know, like, you're eight years old, your mom's taking you out of school, and you're going to the city, and you get to see the parade, and that's going to be my only memory of winning till 2008, right? Um, that was incredible. Uh, the, the late Eagles teams always have a special relationship with me. You know, it's where my dad took me to my first Eagles games, and that's where all my cousins and I would just talk about the, the defense and Reggie White, Clyde Simmons, and Seth Joyner, and Eric Allen. Um, the Phillies run in 93 being, a you know, an 18 year old senior in high school and literally sneaking out and going to the games where my, you know, my mom didn't know where I was cause we had a car and we'd just go to those games and come back and be home by 10 o'clock and just be like, that was a pretty cool run. Obviously the Iverson years. So all those things. And then the Andy Reid run, all those things all stand out to me in, in little pockets of, of, uh, my passion. And then now like, you know, I've got an eight-year-old, I've got a six-year-old, I've got a four-year-old, and, and they're into it as much as I am. They, they talk about it, and um, it's just pretty cool. It's, I'm lucky to have a wife that, that also understands uh, that I'm as passionate about my Philadelphia teams as she is about her Florida Gators. So all that stuff uh, helps out, and, um, and we're going to keep on going. Now, now granted, some, some lean years – uh, in the last decade, but then you get to celebrate that that Eagles run, right? And some lean years, it feels like we were entering with some of these other teams right now, and I get to explain to them, my kids, hey, listen, um, that's not that doesn't jump ship. You don't jump ship. You don't just jump to another team. You know, they negotiate. The eight-year-old and the six-year-old negotiate <laughs> with me. They come into the room and be like, is it all right if I like this team? And I'm like, yeah, you can like that team. But we under uh, in this house weren't no Cowboys, no Giants, no Washington. Those are the rules. No Celtics. You know these are simple. No Nets. I, I don't want to hear about Kevin Durant and Kyrie. That, that's just not, that's not happening. So they are aware of kind of the setup that we have in this. No Mets. No Braves. That's not entering this. Those are good rules. So those are great rules. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to, I feel like another thing that unites us all as Philadelphia fans over the years is pain. I feel like there's something very unique about the experience of loving these teams that are sometimes terrible, but caring all the time, you know, no matter what, which is sort of what you're describing. Do you have a most painful memory of watching a game in person uh, of a Philly sports team? Yeah, so, yeah. wow, I was at the uh, 2006 Super Bowl in Jacksonville. And I walked out of that stadium saying I would never go to an Eagles Super Bowl again. Wow. 
And I held on to that until the NFC title game when the, the way they dominated the Vikings, uh, we were at that game. My wife looked at me. She's like, you're going. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not going. I'm not, I have my rule. And she's like, no, you're going. And uh, she convinced me as the week continued, she looked at flights and she's like, we, we, we've got this all lined up. All you have to do is get tickets. I had two guys who promised me tickets fall through. And I was like, look, it's fate. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. Turns out, um, the last second I got tickets and it was the best decision, you know, credit to my wife for convincing me and wow. figuring all of that out. Uh, <laughs> when it comes to real heartbreak, I, I would, I would say the toughest loss was the 2003 NFC championship game against the Bucks. Yeah. Uh, you're shutting down the vet. I had covered that Bucks team. Uh, I, I knew that they were terrible in cold weather. You open up the, the, the game with a long kickoff return, and you're like, this is it. This is our year. We're going to the Super Bowl, right? And then just how that whole game played out, all of it, just it was like a slow death, right? And we yeah. had experienced heartbreak. And then, you know, the Carolina um, championship game, that was, that was an awful experience when, when McNabb got hurt. Um, those, are the, those are the tough ones. The, 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 the Cliff Lee game. Oh. I'm not sure if you guys remember against the Cardinals in 2011 mm -hmm. yeah. when they have a four nothing lead and he just blows it. And you're just, and that was that, that afternoon we had just got smoked by the 49ers at home. And then we had the home game against the Cardinals in the playoffs and everything was set up perfectly. Cliff Lee has a four nothing lead in the playoff game. And we, <laughs> yeah. Right. And then they lose that game. They lose a the series. Those were some dark days, man. Yeah. Um, I was lucky to go see uh, the no-no the um, from Doc Holliday and be oh, there. Wow. And take I was That's there, cool. too. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> cool, right? It was really yeah. an amazing experience. Um, but, you know, I've got a lot of bright moments, you know, going to the <clears throat> – taking my dad to the 2008 World Series where Ryan Howard homers twice and uh, Cowboy Joe Blanton goes, goes deep. <laughs> and that was cool to take my dad. Yeah. Um, going to the Super Bowl and taking my buddy from uh, – from college at Temple to, to experience that. Um, those, those are the moments that we kind of, we hold on to. And Steve, to your point, you know, I tell my kids all the time, listen, you experience these pains because when, when good things happen, you will appreciate them more. Exactly. You're not spoiled by success because God knows we're not spoiled by success. Certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so on that note, I mean, I remember I was, I guess like end of high school when we were in like the real like dark days of the process and we were always losing. And I remember you were always keeping a pretty positive attitude about everything uh, for the most part on TV. And I remember seeing that, but did you, I guess, two part question, like how did you feel really? Like, did you, were you upset about it? Were you, were pro, pro, pro process people? How did you feel? And then obviously there were some at ESPN. Uh, I can think of Stephen A. Smith as an example who was, you know, furious at that the whole idea of of you know losing all these games did you feel a responsibility to kind of stick up for it and say hey hang on we have a plan here like philly sports knows what they're doing so that so there's a lot of layers to this too when, when it originally started i hated everything about it uh i thought it was an insult to kind of the city's kind of blue collar work ethic um the idea of tanking did not sit well with me for the first couple of years um but when Hinky was laying out this plan, and the more and more I talked to people inside the organization, the more and more I was like, okay, I, I see where we're going. 
I, I understand. And you know what Hinky was doing? He was, it's a, it's a flawed system. And Hinky was like, all right, well, this is what I'm doing. Uh, I, well, you can't hit on a bunch of uh, lottery picks, but you got to have a lot of lottery picks to hit on one or two. Right. right. So as, as it was going on, I was, I was now buying in. I had conversations with Brett Brown. I saw that the team was playing hard for him. A lot of nobodies were playing really hard. Um, and that's when I was like, okay, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with this. And, you know, obviously things changed. And then the frustration level of, you know, collecting the assets and all the losing and then wasting the assets over time. And then, you know, having five to seven second round picks um, and not developing um, it, that, that stuff started to grow uh, from some frustration. But I think that, what, what got me was it felt like we were running into a curse when it came to our first round picks. That's what frustrated me, you know, mm-hmm. where, you know, you get the injury with Joel, you eventually see the injuries, you know, Okafer, you see the injuries then with Ben, you see the injuries with Zaire Smith and you're like, okay, what, what's going on? Are we like, are, are we cursed here? Mm-hmm. Like, what's, so that, that's the stuff that frustrated me. And then um, they saw lightning in a bottle and they went for it. But the most frustrating part, I think, for the last two to three years has been uh, accountability. And I wasn't seeing that in the organization when it came to stars. They, they was like, okay, we're happy we got you, but where's the accountability for, for the guys that need to stay? Hey, a lot of stuff's been given to you. You need to do it every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I thought that we were losing that accountability. And, and I hope that Doc, Doc holds everybody accountable from, from the guy who's the 15th man to uh, the two uh, foundational superstars. And uh, that, those, are my, those are my hopes and aspirations. And with Daryl Morey, I think uh, finding a way of not going for a quick fix and saying, all right, how, how do we make sure we are good today and good tomorrow? is the most important things. And I think we have that type of direction now. Uh, as for Stephen A, listen, <laughs> I love Stephen A. By the way, my Temple days, I would run into Stephen A. He was <clears throat> covering Temple football and Temple basketball on the Inquirer beat. So Stephen A and I, I, I would ask Stephen A questions when I was at, you know, John Cheney Pressers on why he was wearing a suit no one else was. You know, I, I, I looked at Stephen A as the guy that came in that knew who he was, knew what he wanted, and then boom, he blew up, right? So Stephen A, I can, I can give Stephen A the business and know that he knows that I'm coming in with good intentions, right? He knows that I'm going to ask him something, and it's not to say, gotcha, it's to say, come on, Stephen A, right? <laughs> and not, my feelings won't be hurt, his feelings won't be hurt, and we will have actually good TV. So when Stephen A has an issue with something with the Sixers, I think he uh, he's, is justifiable to, to have his opinion. But then I can say, well, what about this and what about that? So I would have never, never gone and resisted a Stephen A. But I could also say, well, Stephen A, everybody else is now starting to do it. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of uh, other uh, teams from different um, professional sports do it. So maybe Sam was on to something. Right. But I understand why Stephen A was saying that. I also understand that he's looking at the integrity of the sport and it's, he's calling out not just one thing with the Sixers. He's calling out, Hey, how everything's set up foundation wise. So uh, I will always make sure that we, I have our back nationally. I've, I've looked at it this way, that 
if you look at my Twitter account, I don't hold back on Philadelphia sports, right? It, I look at Philadelphia sports as a family member. I can say something bad about them. But you nationally, if you say something <laughs> bad about them, let's talk, right? <laughs> and so I, to me, like, you're going to see a lot of criticism about the Eagles tonight. And, and I'll be one of the first people to call them out on some of the stuff we're going to see. But I will also say that if somebody's going for the low-hanging fruit, I will come back and be like, come on, you know? Yeah. Um, so if it's not justified, then, then I will make sure I'll call you out on it. So to take a little turn, hopefully, for a brighter spot and a happier question, um, who's your favorite sixer of all time? Uh, Dr. J. Uh, Julius Serving's. He's, he's, he was everything to me, uh, you know, as, as an eight-year-old and they beat the Lakers and, and he, he defined grace and athleticism and Michael Jordan wanted to be Dr. J. You know, to me, that was always the coolest thing in the, in the late eighties when Jordan exploded and I was a teenager. Um, the other, my second guy was Charles Barkley, man. Like Barkley, I felt so bad for him. Uh, I thought ownership was absolutely terrible uh, trying to surround himself with talent and trading them. And they could never, you know, put together uh, a team that could have a deep run. It broke my heart when I saw him with the Suns uh, because I, I always felt like that could have been us, you know, mm -hmm. uh, if we knew what we were doing. And then number three is Allen Iverson uh, and, and what he did and how he changed the, the face of the program. And the one thing about Allen, uh, I was at the crossover game. Uh, against Michael. I was actually three rows back at working at Temple uh, for the radio station. So Alan did a lot for us back in the late 90s in changing the perspective of, of the organization. And then, you know, number four right now is, you know, I like the Mo Cheeks of the world, the Andrew Tonys of the world, Moses I loved. Um, but if you're talking about right now, Joel will always be my guy. I, I, I just love Joel. And uh, I hope he stays healthy long-term here for us. We are also very pro Joel. And he's <laughs> one of the ones that if he goes somewhere else, it'll be uh, ever, it'll be a real heartbreak. So <laughs> Emily, I'm with you. I'll have a tough time. I'll be rooting for him uh, yeah. wherever he goes, no matter what. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one last question from me. If you could play for any of the four major teams in Philadelphia, which one would you choose and why? Ooh, really good. <laughs> So I was always the Sixers, as I told you, in my basement. Uh, I was a huge uh, – in our neighborhood, we would always play wiffle ball, and I was always giving you the Mike Schmidt shimmy. Um, if you could tell, he's got, you know, a jersey there, and I've got mm -hmm. – uh, show you this real quick. There's uh, – Oh, wow. And, and my favorite pick with uh, him and Larry Bird. Um, I say all of that, but uh, it would be probably a, uh, to be an eagle. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I think nothing can touch the environment of the vet losing its mind when you catch a touchdown. I grew up in the vet, that, that concrete block. Again, people from the outside can criticize it, but, you know, it was our dirt hole, right? It was our cement block that stunk badly. Um, I, I, so I, I would probably, probably want to be an eagle. Although sometimes when, when you look at Allen's clips – and, you know, he's going to the crowd. You look at Joel's clips, and, and that's a pretty cool thing. When you can have the city right here, uh, nothing could touch that, Emily. So, uh, but right now I'd probably say uh, I'd probably say being an eagle catching a ball at the link. For sure. Um, uh, we'll get you out of here. We just have one last question, which is what is your current 
outlook on the Sixers, like where are you at, take your temperature that way. And also, I guess, you know, this, this will come out in about an hour or so. Do you have a prediction for what's sure to be a very fun game on Monday Night Football between the Eagles and the Seahawks tonight? You can answer that in any order you like. All right. Uh, for the Sixers, I've got a lot of hope. Yeah. Um, I, feel like, I feel like things uh, – we had like a mini reset, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel really good about that concept of Daryl Morey, Doc Rivers assembling a, a group here to say, let's give it a shot. Let's see if this works. I feel like we're in a window with Joel and Ben, ben for a year or two to say, let's see if this works with us. Right. right? Ben's just got to, Ben's just got to be more confident in shooting the ball. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's not even, I'm not asking for threes. I'm just saying, Hey, just shoot a 12 to 15 foot jumper and, and, and change the dynamic of an offense down the road where they, they have to consider you instead of four versus five, especially in the playoff scenario. Right. Right. So Joel's got to stay healthy. Uh, Ben's got to shoot the ball. They've got some shooters around them. They're enough spacing. I feel like this is a, uh, this is a top four team in the East. Here's the other thing. The accountability is a big deal here, especially when you play road games. And if they're back home and they're playing in stadium to stadium and not in a bubble, uh, they've got to find a way. And, and I think that extends to maturity of understanding that just because the crowd's not holding you responsible doesn't mean you can't be responsible on the road and give us 100% every single night. Right. You can't go in and say, hey, well, we only lost twice at home, but we have an under 500 record on the road. We're going to be okay in the playoffs. Because it that dynamic completely changes. You need to find a way to be mentally strong on the road. And I think having that veteran leadership with Doc, um, I think I think it's just time time to grow up, time, time to say every single day, let's bring it. I love those, those guys. I, I don't care about Instagram anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't care about what we're trying to prove. Let's try and play every single night and understand that you got to bring it to a certain level, especially, you know, and this is, this is like, this is on Joel and Ben. Don't give me the quotes anymore. Give me the performances day in and day out. Mm-hmm. Give me the performance on a, on a back-to-back on the road on the West Coast where we need you, not, hey, I'm going to take it easy tonight. Uh, because I want to get ready for James Harden in Houston next week. No, no, play tonight. Win tonight in Sacramento. That's what I think we need to figure out, and we have to play consistent. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what I want. That's what I hope. And I still think when you look at the East, Miami's great because of Jimmy Butler's mentality and Eric Spolcher's coaching. Mm -hmm. Jimmy is holding everybody responsible, right? The Nets are going to be great because, good Lord, that talent. I'm not sure how long it's going to be sustained, but that talent is unbelievable. Durant's 100% healthy. And if Kyrie wants to play, you know, um, let's just say 65% – 65 games and he's healthy, boy, the Nets are going to be tough out. Don't sleep on the Raptors. That's a culture. And that's phenomenal coaching. And, of course, you know, the Bucs. And and Giannis is going to make sure everybody's accountable this year after experiencing what he went through. I want the best two players on our team to hold everybody accountable to not just their standard, but they got to raise their standard night in and night out. Yeah. As for our team in uh, football, um, I felt like what the window was, you got to beat the Giants to get to four, four and one. 
And I felt that in that five-week stretch, if they had won one game, they would still be in it. And that one game was the Browns. Right. Because these next four, they're done. And um, uh, there's, there's a lot of things. It's not just one player. It's not Carson Wentz. It's, it's a setup from the top, not having uh, enough talent on the roster, uh, not having enough playmakers, not developing a game plan and play calling that's going to take advantage of anything, and then not having the ability to execute. So when you have three layers all breaking down, that's my biggest concern with this, uh, this team because um, it's not a fixable, hey, we fire one guy, everything's fixed or we replace one guy, everything's fixed. There are a lot of layers that need to be fixed here. So uh, I'm going into the game tonight, as I will probably for the next four weeks, saying I have no expectations. Uh, I expect them to lose. And that's different from where I was uh, two weeks ago. It's different where I was about a month ago. Um, I I think it's a lost season, um, and I, I predict the Giants um, or Washington to win the uh, division. So I, I'm, I'm sorry to be that way when it comes to negativity, but uh, this is the what I'm seeing from the team, what they're giving to us. Yeah, well, we always like to end the podcast on a low, so I'm glad we did that, <laughs> and uh, I hope I didn't ruin the rest of your day with that last question. Thank you so much for doing this. You were so gracious and generous with your time. Is there anything that you'd like to get out in the world that – uh, to promote or, you know, obviously the 6 p.m. Sports Center, anything? 6 p.m. Sports Center. Uh, I'm on ABC College Football on Saturdays. Uh, my, my passion and love for that uh, stands true. Um, before we go, though, I actually want to ask you guys a question. Mm, I want to hear from Steve and Dan, and I know Emily had to step out real quick, and it was great talking to her, but I want to hear what you guys have to say about this upcoming Sixers season. You want to go first, buddy? Yeah, I'll go first. I am um... – I think I'm a little bit less optimistic than some. Um, I think uh, there are actually uh, for the Rice Ricky Sanchez this morning, I know uh, there was Mike O'Connor wrote something kind of comparing the team to the 2017-18 team, which I think is probably pretty accurate. Um, there's, you know, kind of some similar strengths and, and weaknesses, um, although at, at different levels. And this team might, is probably a little bit better. Um, I, I'm still not – super optimistic that this team can contend this year. I think Maury is probably looking at it as this is um, kind of a year to figure things out and maybe next year they make a move. Um, uh, But I would love to be wrong. I think that it, you know, lies on the shoulders of Ben and Joel. And if they, if they step up, like, you know, we've thought they might for the past few years and maybe haven't gotten what we wanted, but if this is the year and it comes together, then they could be great. So I, I, I'm optimistic that, that, you know, there is a path towards, contending but I'm not sure how confident I am that that is actually going to play out this year so I uh feel so much better now than I did two months ago before the Daryl hire I mean (laughs) the way that the organization had made such a living out of just sweeping things under the rug and putting a band-aid on a stab wound you know it had just become a lot you know and it was hard to root for them especially as they're like trying to use taxpayer money to build a new arena and Penn's Landing all this kind of stuff so they hired Daryl who I sort of implicitly trust is going to make smart decisions and well-reasoned decisions so that is like amazing and I and just in general I feel much better about them and they have made things a lot easier I think on Ben and Joe for this season but I wrote something at the beginning of the offseason that the biggest improvement that we could ever hope for 
is like internal improvement from Simmons and Embiid. Like if you look at Jason Tatum in Boston, like they became a contender because he became a superstar, you know, like if, if they take that next step, which, and now at this point, it's been a couple of years and we're sort of accustomed to not expecting it. But if they were, that's certainly within them. And that could change the outlook where all of a sudden you actually are a legit contender rather than a, um, you know, whatever 55 win team that'll give any team a run. Like, if those guys become top 10 guys, which they certainly could do, I think then you have like your real contender. But overall, just feeling much better about the team uh, than I did very recently. Steve, and I think, Dan, both you guys nailed it. Um, and, and we are always looking at the outside. Hey, who do we need to get to make this team better? We have it here with the two right. guys. They need to take the next step. Mm-hmm. You take the next step, it'll cover a lot of other things. But don't think, uh, you know, Seth Curry's going to help. Danny Green will help. But it's not about Seth Green. I mean, yeah. Seth Curry and Danny Green. It's about our two foundational stars. When they step up, those guys then will get better. Right? Uh, yeah, uh-huh. I mean, you mentioned the, the losing on the road. And I loved Brett. Like, I just was such a – I was so happy to root for him for these years. And uh, he seemed like such a great guy. But, like, teams with good cultures, which can be in sort of overused – buzzword but I think it applies like they don't just get killed on the road by teams they're 10 times better than so I think that's on the coach and I also think that it's on the two stars to become leaders which I don't think that they have been you know I think that the rap on Joe is that he's actually more quiet internally than you would expect him to be so that's another improvement that I think they can that's within their grasp so and that uh, comes down to accountability, right? Yeah, 100%. And, and, and the guys at the top holding everybody accountable, and that is Doc Rivers saying, no, no, we, we, we don't do this. Well, yeah. No, no, I, I don't want to hear about your playing. You know, you're going to play. We're on the road. We're in Sacramento. We're going to win tonight. And exactly. you can't just show up, right? So yeah. fingers crossed. Here's hoping. Thank you again for doing this. Uh, uh, this was such a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, we're so excited to – now you're really one of our guys, now that we're best friends. So uh, it's very exciting. Hey, I wore the hat. You so. wore the hat and the sweatshirt. I mean, what a day. Uh, thank you for doing this, Kevin. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, Phil. Great questions. Uh, give Emily my best. We will. Thank you so much. All right. He was great. What a guy. Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was really cool. Um, we're basically out of here. We'll be back next week. And uh, that's it for Emily, of course. Hey, I have a movie coming out tomorrow. Uh, watch it. It's called Antarctica. If you like it, watch it and uh, enjoy it. If you don't like it, please don't tell me. I'm a sensitive person. I don't Where can we watch it, it, Steve? So it'll be on Apple TV Plus and Amazon Prime Video and uh, everywhere else. So, so watch it if you want. And, I will uh, watch it. Thanks, buddy. Uh, So good seeing you, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, good to see you. See you, buddy.